This is a special episode of Dead Honest, a podcast where I talk honestly to the professionals who help us when we die. Now, the last few months have been beyond extraordinary for all of us, as the coronavirus is sweeping across the world, and it's forcing us to look at many things we've taken for granted. Perhaps the most confronting is the thought that we may lose people we love sooner than we imagined. Now, truthfully, the chance of us dying of this virus, for most of us, is still very, very small, but we all have people we love who may be more vulnerable. Elderly parents, grandparents, friends and colleagues who may have had serious illnesses or still be dealing with them. And the brutal fact is this, that when they get really sick with this virus, it's highly likely that we will not be with them as they die. So here's the thing. We need to talk about death, not in the abstract sense, but really practically. We need to step up and have the conversations about our last wishes with those we love whilst we can. And I know that sounds all good in theory, but for many of us, actually doing it is almost too painful to consider. And bluntly, we have no idea how to start. So I hope this episode will help. My guest today is Hermione Elliott. She's one of the UK's leading death doulas, which is a bit like a midwife for the dying. In her long career, she's been with hundreds of people as they die, and one of her roles is to help families have these conversations. So I thought I'd ask her advice. A quick caveat, this interview was recorded remotely as we are currently in lockdown, so please excuse the less than perfect sound quality. Hermione, you've been with many families where they've had to have the death conversation because a relative is approaching death. And I wonder, how has it been after they've had this conversation? My experience is that there's tremendous relief when we do finally acknowledge this. And I've heard so many people who are dying say, I'm so grateful that we managed to talk about it because it's given me the opportunity to say what I wanted to say. It's given me the opportunity to feel that I've completed with people. But all the time we're not talking, there's a, a terrible tension because sometimes it's the relatives that don't want the conversation and the person who's dying that does. And we find ourselves in a situation where Everyone is trying to protect everyone else. And sometimes it's important to have courage and to bring that elephant into the room or acknowledge that the elephant is in the room. But what should we do if our relative doesn't want to have that conversation? I think that is, isn't uncommon. And I think I would hopefully, well, on one level, respect that wish. Because, of course, it's not our job necessarily to force people into having a conversation. But I, I would also recognize that I'm part of this relationship. To talk about it may be just as important as your need not to talk about it. And I don't think we should be afraid to say, actually, I need to speak about this. Because if something awful should happen to you, I would want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for you. And what is the benefit of having these conversations for the healthcare workers who we may then come into contact with? Does it make a difference to them? Yes. And 
extremely positive thing to do. You know, I actually had a conversation with my own GP the other morning to be very clear with him what my wishes are. And he was so appreciative and said, I wish all my patients would do the same. But this is, as we said, this is a difficult conversation for people to broach. A month ago, if we had been in a similar situation, we would have been able to be in hospital, we would have spoken to health professionals, they would have guided us, people like you would have been on hand to give us the, the steer of what we need to do. But actually, with coronavirus, the chances are, by the time we end up in hospital, we are not going to be able to take our relatives with us. We cannot have those conversations. So we have to have them before they leave the house, to be blunt. And so now I, I wanted to sort of talk about how we actually do that really practically. How do I start that conversation with my relative? How do I open it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenging question because obviously every family is different. The way they relate is very different. Uh, you know, I would love us to encourage people to come on, guys. We need to be doing this now before we get into any acute emergency situation because the emotions run very, very high. It's a desperate, desperate thing. So if I'm, I'm going to give an example, because I always think it's really helpful to move from the sort of theoretical to the practical. So it's me, I'm having this conversation with my father. You know, he he's of a vulnerable age and, and could be one of those people who goes into hospital and doesn't come out. So my view would be I'd sort of try and start the conversation with something along the lines, you know, Dad, I think we should have a chat about what's happening with the coronavirus because of your age and your vulnerability, if you are admitted to hospital, you will be isolated and I won't be able to be there with you to talk about the decisions you may want to have made at that time. So I'm just thinking it would be a good time now for us to have a chat about that so that you maintain some control over that at a time when you won't have others around you who can help you with that. Would that be one way of taking that forward? Yeah, beautifully put, absolutely. Then it's that thing to say, look, you know, this is actually as much about trying to put my mind at rest to make sure I do the right thing by you as it is about trying to make the decisions clear for you for your benefit. It's a way of you helping me deal with this as well, which I'd be really grateful for. I think sometimes parents find it easier to do things for their kids if they think it's going to... Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And also they recognise that they're helping the doctors to know the best way to act in, in those different situations. So that's a great thing to say. You know, you're, you're playing your part in actually helping these incredibly overworked doctors and nurses do their job. You're making their job simpler by making your wishes known now, not just for, for us as a family, but for them as well. And so then, then I'd go on to say, look, can we have a, you know, if he said, well, what sort of things are you thinking about? And I, I suppose I'm throwing that question back to you. What are the questions we should be thinking about? I think what's important to us, well, how would you like to be cared for? What's really important for you at that time? because we can make sure that you're kept really, really comfortable. And the, the doctors and nurses will do everything to make sure you're not in pain. Or would it be important for you to go on life support? But if people say yes, do you understand what that means? What does it mean, though? 
to be on life support will mean being attached up to a, a machine that does your breathing for you. It means being sedated so that you be pretty deeply asleep, maybe a little bit rousable, but being in a kind of suspended state. And the aim of that is to allow the body to recover. You know, very often if somebody does have a collapse or go into a cardiac arrest in um, ICU, then the automatic thing is to resuscitate, as we call it, um, which is a pretty brutal procedure to restart, to try and restart the heart. Brutal in what way? What way is it brutal? Simply that it requires a lot of pressure on the chest, repeated what they call chest compressions. And obviously to keep the oxygen circulating, somebody would already be have a tube into their, their lungs, into their throat with oxygen and that kind of thing. So it's a very dramatic procedure, a bit frightening for anybody. It's frightening as a practitioner. It's frightening for family members. It's frightening for the person um, receiving that. And it's no guarantee that you are going to come out of it. No guarantee. And, the, you know, broken ribs, all, all kinds of things. So there's no guarantee that you come out of it. And there's no guarantee that if you do come out of it, that you will be as you were before. With much younger people, there's a much greater chance of recovery. But the, the statistics show that it's still pretty small numbers of people who come back to full functioning after CPR. So if my father was to say, I don't want to have those interventions, I don't want to go to ICU, I'm of an age where I've had a good life and let that precious bed go to some other person who still has many years ahead of them. I just want to be left alone to die peacefully as possible and as quietly as possible. Is that what you call comfort care? That would be what I would call comfort care. Okay, so that's the least amount of intervention. Yes, it would be managing symptoms. Um, it could also be called palliative care. Palliative care is making life as bearable and as comfortable as possible, however long they're in the dying phase. So if my father is taken to hospital and he's of an age that he, and frailty, that he is unlikely to be offered one of these very precious ICU beds, and that's the reality now, then I want to know what's his death going to be like? Well, dying is, is different in every situation. There's no one way of dying. My understanding is that the death from coronavirus is a large part of the process is difficulty in breathing. And if someone was in a situation where they were receiving comfort care, the chances are that that person would receive oxygen and sedation and pain relief. So the more distressing symptoms would be managed very well, but we can never know what that process will be like. It's, very, it's, it's likely to be very individual, depending on people's condition before the illness. So it would be about making life comfortable and as good as it can be for the and, duration. 
And so if we have relatives who've entered hospital who are very infirm and vulnerable and, and likely to fall into the same category as my father, that there is some comfort in knowing that there are procedures in place to keep our relatives, even if we can't be with them, to keep them as comfortable as possible, as supported as possible. And then as we actually die, the physical dyingness of dying, is that quite a, the sort of shutting down? Is that quite a peaceful in my experience, it is. I haven't been with coronavirus deaths, but I don't see why they, it would be especially different. And for me, the deaths I've witnessed have been and been involved with are very much about a change of state. So there's a shutting down that will happen and a withdrawal very often so that we may become sleepier and sleepier less and less able to communicate. We wouldn't be able to eat or drink anymore. That's a normal letting go that the body doesn't need sustenance. And gradually the systems of the body that sustain us will gradually lose their function. And as we perhaps then slip into unconsciousness, our breathing patterns would change. And it almost feels as though people are moving in and out if you like there's a there's a sense that they're here and not here here and not here until the moment that the next breath simply doesn't come I mean that's quite comforting to think that even if we can't be with our relatives at the very end that it is a process which is very peaceful and that their awareness of us being there or not being there is not going to be that acute. So if my father wants to make his wishes clear, what do we do next? What what form do we fill in? It all feels a bit daunting, but what can we do practically to record those wishes? Well, because we're in such an unusual situation, many GP surgeries have stepped up and are doing a very fast track form which is very, very easy to do because this is such a critical time. And this is what they call a respect form. It differs. It's in different, different format in different areas. But I think most surgeries would welcome you calling to say, I'd like a telephone appointment to discuss my advanced decisions or my advanced plan. If you don't want to talk to your um, GP, you can go online to an organization called Compassion in Dying, where they have downloadable forms. But the most important thing is you tell your family that you've done this, that they're aware of it, and that you give one a copy of this form to your GP. Everybody needs to know that you've done it. And if you feel you need a, a hand to talk it through, because sometimes we don't always know the consequences of our decisions and then the end of life doula association have a whole raft of end of life doulas who are working with people remotely to help talk it through just to demystify it a little bit can i take you back to another aspect of this though which is the fact that we're not just trying to identify our medical wishes but how do we have those conversations with our relatives that are what I call the sort of goodbye conversations. What would be your advice on that? How do we approach that? I think one of the things I always tend to think, what 
what would I regret not saying if my husband were to die tomorrow? So to some extent, I try and project myself into the future a little bit to imagine how would I feel if I didn't say these things? So I'm just thinking again, because I'm, I'm being fiercely practical about this, because I, again, always think it's really simple to go. It sounds like really good theory, but the actual conversation's a bit tricky. So again, with my dad, it would be that thing to say, um, look, you know, we don't know what the future's going to bring for any of us, but it's maybe now's a good time for us just to sort of say the things that we want to say. And I know you're going to think I'm being silly, or you might think I'm, you're about to, you know, drop off your perch, but... I'd actually regret the fact that I hadn't said it more than if I maybe make you feel a bit uncomfortable for the next 10 minutes while I tell you a few things and just make it a bit lighthearted. Yeah, I think the lighthearted approach is really important. And um, I, I mean, I had a conversation with my mother probably about six months before she died, even though she wasn't dying. I didn't know she was dying. And I just told her all the things I was grateful to her for. And we weren't a family that shared intimately or deeply very much. And it was the most beautiful conversation I've ever had, I think. And she was very overwhelmed and she recognized that she'd wished she'd had the capacity to talk more on that level as we were growing up. It was very special. There's something about gratitude and acknowledging what's been special for us in any relationship, I think that's very important. And is it something which if we don't even feel we can have the conversation face to face, and in, in times like this, we may not get that chance because we're isolated to have those conversations face to face, or that we can always write that down? Absolutely right. That's what I was going to say. Writing a letter, doing an audio, recording something, you know, just to remember that family life is such an intimate thing. It's not always a happy thing and it's sometimes jolly difficult, but there will be threads that we can draw on to, to connect us into an intimate moment. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying these are the things that I really wished I told you earlier. Or do you remember the time? Reminiscence is a beautiful thing to do. Do you remember the time we all went off to the beach and we just larked about in the pebbles and the sand and you were a great dad, you know? Just those simple, simple memories are very, very powerful. And we've got time now on our hands as we're all isolated <laughs> to maybe write that letter or, or have that phone call or, or just extend the sort of tenderness that we feel for each other. Can yeah. I say something else? Because I think um, also, you know, as British people, we tend to be a bit dismissive often of that kind of conversation. And I can just imagine a stiff upper lip dad say oh stop it you know blah, 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 brushing it off but I don't think that means we should stop I think we need to make it work for us and say I know it isn't comfortable dad but I just need to tell you this you know there's something about insisting upon being heard sometimes that I think is really important we're living in really extraordinary times. We don't even know quite how extraordinary they are or will be going forward. But I wanted to ask you, how will it change how we talk about death in the future, do you think? 
gosh, it's very hard to predict, but I really, really hope that it's brought it into the living room. Everyone is talking about the virus. And really the next step is to talk about the what ifs. And that does mean talking about death and dying. So I hope these conversations are going to continue and that we create an easier way for us to engage with it and to talk about what, what it is that we might want when our time comes. My thanks to Hermione Elliott from Living Well, Dying Well for being so generous with her time. She mentions two organisations in that interview with regard to making your final wishes and if you grab a pen I can give you their web details. If you can't find a pen don't worry, I'll also put their details on the show notes of this episode. The first was Compassion and Dying which offers forms about advanced wishes which you can download from their website compassionanddying.org.uk And if you have any questions about your wishes and want to speak to a death doula, the other organisation she mentioned was End of Life Doula UK and their website is eol-doula.uk. That's eol-doula.uk. My apologies once again for the variable quality of the audio. It was my first remote recording ever, but I hope given the importance of what we've discussed, you'll forgive me. And if you have friends or relatives or colleagues who may benefit from listening to this episode, then please, please share it. We all need to have this conversation. In the meantime, I'm sending you all my best wishes. Bye.